Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So welcome back to The Front Three. I'm, of course, David O'Brien. Not Lawrence McKenna or not Adam Boltwood, unfortunately. Those two lads are a little busy this afternoon. So we've drafted in one man that we thought could... Maybe add something else to the front three. Add a little bit of variation into our attack, and that is Nico Morales from the big US of A. Nico, how are you, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself, Dave? Yeah, I'm good. Um, pretty busy week this week, obviously dropping the first few episodes of Dave O'Brien Football. Sorry, the Statman Dave Football Podcast, so that's always been fun. Chris, what about yourself? You all right? I am, mate. I am indeed. Bloody fantastic. Well, the Champions League returned on Tuesday night. I was pumped. Chris was pumped. Nico was absolutely ecstatic. Where better to start with PSG versus Barcelona, with the French champions beating the Spanish Giants four goals to nil. It was a massive, massive result for the project over in Paris. Chris, Barcelona, what went wrong? They just seemed a little bit naive to the whole situation to me. They they were they didn't have much in intensity to their game. They they seem very one-paced, which is a rare thing, I think, with Barcelona. And just in general, that level that we come to associate with them just didn't seem present in anybody. And, and they looked a little bit shell-shocked to me at times. Yeah, I can't agree with more. I think the pressing, the intensity, the, the, the shape without the ball was something that you haven't really seen under Luis Enrique with sort of Neymar staying up front with the rest of the front three. And nobody joining that midfield to create that sort of 4-4, four, four, uh, sorry, 4 to block in a way. Nico, in terms of Barcelona, is it the end for Luis Enrique? Uh, I don't think so at all. I think this is a blip, and it was a fantastic performance by Unai Emery, who who didn't perhaps have the quality of squad uh, when he was at Sevilla to, to combat uh, Barcelona as he did on, on Tuesday night. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily the end for Luis Enrique. A lot of people are saying that, but if if you look at what he did when he came into into Barcelona after Tata Martino, um, he got the front three to work a little bit more defensively. He got the the team to work as a whole, both you know not not just being that Barcelona tiki taka style of football, but also playing on the counter attack and counter pressing and stuff like that. Um, and so if if anyone's going to get the front three to to get back to their best, both on and off the ball, it's it's Luis Enrique for me. Yeah, so it's a real interesting one. Obviously, he did evolve the side. You know, Lionel Messi being a false nine under Pep Guardiola, then struggling under um, both Villanova and Martina. And then we sort of saw that evolution where they were dropping back and Barcelona were hitting teams on the break, which we hadn't seen under Pep Guardiola or the re- regimes before in a way. You know, they scored more goals than any other team in the Champions League on the counter-attack. But Chris, sort of a player that stood out for me that was really, really poor in his position was, was Andre Gomez. He only managed to complete four forward passes in the game, which is absolutely atrocious. What do you think of his performance? I thought his performance was very poor, but then a lot of his performances have been very poor. You you look at sort of 
his arrival and I remember a few of the, the analytics crew that, that surfaced on Twitter weren't that impressed with him. Um, I, I think what this points to in the, in the wider context is it's very difficult to, to find replacements for these Barcelona-bred players because they don't come through the school, they don't learn the, the nuances of, of the Barcelona way. And you look at their attempts to try and sign backups, replacements, whatever you want to tag them as, it's just not been easy. You go all the way through Alex Song, Andre Gomez. I mean, even Rakitic has been a success, but again, it's it's alongside not a huge number of others. That's that's the difficulty, is that that transition from, from Xavi and then what will come with Iniesta has not been easy for them. And and even Suarez, Dennis Suarez, I should say, sorry, I don't think has, has taken to things as seamlessly as possible. Um, and, I, and I do, I just think it's it's one of those things where it is a very difficult job for Barcelona's recruitment staff because you're very much working at the top end of the market. You have to get elite players in. There is no room for, for error in that respect. Um, but I, I do just think maybe there's a, a better fix than the one they're going for now, which is is to just sign players that they think might work. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Even Rakitic, the player that you mentioned before, in terms of what he did when he came on the pitch, I thought he brought that intensity that Barcelona really lacked in terms of his time. He made four tackles, winning three of them. And that was more. That was two more than um, Gomez managed in his, what, 70, 80 minutes on the pitch. So it was that intensity that Barca really lacked and a few players that really not shining um, for the Spanish Giants. In terms of PSG, though, Nico, what went right for them? In terms of midfield, Verratti, I thought, was excellent. Um, Rabiot and, and Matuidi were just fantastic in midfield. What do you think of their performances? Yeah, I think from a PSG perspective, they were absolutely fantastic. The selective press and the and the times that they chose to press really emphasized, you know, their ability to put Barcelona Barcelona under, under pressure when they tried to play out of the back. Um, but you know, specifically talking about players like Blaise Matuidi, Adrian Rabiot, and Marco Verratti were were absolutely fantastic. But um, you know, looking at 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 a specific player that perhaps isn't highlighted as as much in the media um is is Kurzwa I believe is how you pronounce his name the left back for for PSG um I think Unai Emery expected Lionel Messi to stay farther on the right and he he pretty much instructed Kurzwa to man mark Lionel Messi out of the game and even when Lionel Messi went to went to the center midfield Kurzwa stayed with him and ensured that every time he he received a pass he was immediately under pressure and that's what created so many positive pressing situations for PSG was the fact that every time Lionel Messi was on the ball, he was being put under pressure. And since he was in the central midfield areas, places where you don't want to lose the ball, PSG were able to counter so many times as we saw on, on Tuesday night. It's one of those things, Nico, why Lawrence McKenna and Adam uh, Bolt would need to watch their, watch their backs because, you know, analysis like that, bits of little bit of insight that was absolutely beautiful. But in terms of the rest of the back four, Chris, very, very impressed by the two centre-halves. What did you make of their performance with Thiago Silva injured, in quotation marks? I thought they were really good. Um, the young lad whose whose name is escaping me at the minute. Um, Kim Pembe. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. I think he's very aggressive. He's very confident in his in his actions. And I think for someone so young on that occasion, that says a lot. I thought the way that he drived at, at Barcelona at times when he was in the final third was was really impressive too. I think you're looking for that PSG defense to to have a wobble without Thiago Silva, which is is kind of you know, I think part of the course when you consider how good he is, but it just didn't happen. They they actually looked really solid. I like Kazawa as well at left back. I, th- I thought across the the back four, um, even the the Belgian right back, is it Munier? I thought I thought he was again very eager to go forward. I think for me that was the key thing with the PSG defense was they were willing to engage, which is 
again, they were helped massively by the fact that the three in front screened brilliantly, shut down passing lanes, put a massive defensive shift in sort of zone 14 and the two either side of it. But again, you have to still give them credit at the back for, for what they did. I think that was so impressive from the, the PSG midfield for me. You know, uh, Emery's always sort of played a 4-4-1-1 with um, an attacking midfielder, either being a playmaker in either Benega or someone that can destroy. And what he sort of did, what I really liked about their midfield was it was a 4-5-1 how it was set up. But they rotated round and it kind of looked like a 4-4-1-1 in a way where Matuidi would join Cavani and press if Barcelona were building out of the right. And then on the other side, Verratti would press and then uh, Matuidi would come round. And that pivot was absolutely beautiful and tactically it was, it was perfect. And that, for me, like you're saying, protected that back four, gave PSG the ball back in that final third and got it to the likes of Draxler, Cavani and, of course, Di Maria. Nico, out of those three players, which one did you feel impressed you the most? Honestly, Di Maria was absolutely fantastic. And specifically for a player that hasn't been in fantastic form under Unai Emery, I think it, when you speak about Di Maria, you talk about a player that, that really thrives under managers like Carlo Ancelotti and someone that's going to put their arm around them. And he hasn't been really that great in Liga 1 this season. But he, he showed up on the biggest stage against one of the biggest opponents in the world. And he was absolutely fantastic, making sure that you know Unai Emery gave him the chances once that press uh, was broken or they were able to to garner possession back from Barcelona. He was the guy performing the one-on-ones and getting past Barcelona players and using his fantastic range of passing to really stretch Barcelona all over the field on the counterattack and something that he really did well in his uh, in his final few months at, uh, at Real Madrid that made him such a fantastic player. Yeah, it was a real interesting one. I thought a little bit frustrated in a way where Verratti kept on popping that ball into in between the Barcelona defence and midfield. And I think there were two opportunities before um, I think he got taken down for the free kick that he wasted possession and it was a bit frustrating. But that is what he is as a player, you know, hot and cold, left and right. But I think that's enough for uh, PSG Barcelona. That is some cracking analysis as always. So let's move on to the other game of Tuesday night and that is Benfica versus Borussia Dortmund. Chris, it was a game of uh, one team really dominating and one team getting a little bit of luck and fortune. Um, but in terms of the finishing from Borussia Dortmund, not quite up to levels. What do you think of Aubameyang's performance there? It wasn't really what you expect from him, was it? That's, mm. I mean, look, that's part of the problem, I think, with, with Dortmund is that you say compare them to, to Bayern. They're a little bit dictated by what the likes of Aubameyang and, and Royce do. I think the, they've had to, to shop in a way that means that really they're buying younger players having to think a little bit left field. It's it's taking guys like Guerrero, picking up Kagawa from Man United, players that you would say are not top level, but could definitely get there. Um, Aubameyang is definitely of the top level. But I also think any sort of criticism you level at him and the team for finishing has to be offset by the fact that Edison for Benfica was fantastic. There was one save in particular, a sort of long long-ranged effort that he managed to, to get to, which he really had no right to, that I thought was fantastic. And look, if if Benfica have, have done well for any major reason, I think part of it is the fact they've got a fantastic goalkeeper between the sticks. Yeah, he's a strange one. I've seen him um, play really well and I've seen him out a bit of, you know, had stinkers in the past in terms of his concentration. You know, a classic Brazilian goalkeeper. I think the shot you mentioned was the Julian Weigel shot from really far out uh, outside of the box and it was a brilliant save. In terms of the goal, Matroglu as well, very, very sloppy with Dortmund going the other way. Uh, one player that sort of shone for me was Ryan Bartra at the back. Um, Nico, can he be the, the replacement for Matt Hummels? Because we've seen him play well, we've seen him play poorly. One stat that was really interesting for me was that he in fact completed more passes than any other player in the final third and he was playing centre-half. Can he be that guy? 
Yeah, I think if you look a, like a, at a player like Mark Bartra in, in a Thomas Tuchel system, it's very similar to to Pep Guardiola's three-two-five in a sense, and and that really relies on on the ability for a deep-lying playmaker, someone like a center back or someone like a Julian Beigel, to make those passes and connect the possession to that front five. Mark Bartra came in in sort of as sort of a Mats Hummels replacement, and he's done excellently. And he actually has a fantastic partner in Socrates because if you look at the game against RFB Leipzig a few weeks ago, um, someone like Poulsen really targeted Mark Barcher's lack of physicality. But if then Socrates came across and and put a tackle in or two and really showed him that you're not going to be messing with my my passing maestro over here. So uh, yeah, definitely Mark Barcher is someone that can that can fill that role very very well. And if I can just touch on. Uh, the finishing for for Dortmund for a second, I think that you know although Benfica came away with the one nil win, it, it's something that if your system is creating that many chances and and the game was so lopsided and Benfica were able to get away with it, I think at home, uh, on a in a, in a better sort of situation, you're looking at a, a Borussia Dortmund team that could blow away Benfica in the second leg. Well, that's not you know it's not bad saying something like that because it could have been seven one. You know there were chances. I think Abemyang had the penalty, had two other massive chances. Men Dembele had two big chances. Socrates had a header at the back post. You talk about the Julian Weigel shot. There was another deflective Edis- um, shot that was Edison saved again. So, yeah, very, very one-sided. But I do expect Dortmund to push on in that second leg and go for- through to the quarterfinals. Anyway, let's move on to Wednesday night's action. Bayern Munich destroying Arsenal over in Germany. And it was it was a little bit embarrassing for Arsenal. that got some key performance there. Obviously, you got Thiago, you got Lewandowski. But really, let's start with Arsenal, Chris. Let's let's break this down. Um, what went wrong for you for Arsenal? Was it their intensity, their tactics, that the team selection was Wenger to blame, as Arsenal fan TV keep on saying? I think so. I, I look, there's a lot of different threads here weaving into one giant tapestry, which is I have a lot of sympathy for Wenger away from the actual result because I think this is the beginning of the end for him. He, he can't really recover from this. This is the second time they've been humiliated like this by Bayern Munich. And as I tweeted out today, the financials are not drastically different between the two teams. This is not an Arsenal side that was assembled on the cheap. It's spent a lot of money and it hasn't produced. With that said, during the game, I thought that when they get to 1-1, when Sanchez scores the penalty, I don't get why he doesn't change something there and just look to bunker down sort of contain the game massively and start to really frustrate Bayern. Because you could see that Bayern, as a team, were quite frustrated at that point. There was an instance where they go down the other end um, and the ball hits Bellerin's arm. It's not a penalty, I don't believe. But you can see the Bayern players are, are asking for it instantly and they're frustrated that they don't get it. I think if if you're going to go into a game like that with Meza Ozil as well, I think you're being massively naive to the situation and what kind of player he is. Because for me, against teams of similar and and better quality, I don't think he's consistent enough at all. I think he's, he's fine when you've got the ball, when you're dictating things, when you're dominating things. Yep, that's great because he's going to have a lot of touches. He's going to be able to pick spaces, all that kind of stuff. Last night, that just wasn't the case. I, we put a, a tweet out through the, the Twitter account that I think about 70, 80 minutes in, Ozil had had less passes across the entire field than Thiago had had just in the final third. In fact, there was another stat that dropped today that said the entire Arsenal team had less passes than Thiago had in the final third. So it's it's just... I see why Arsenal fans get frustrated at this point. I know that's a hot-button topic and we'll not go on to it because it's, it's 
pointless at this stage. I do see why they get frustrated, though, because you're debating where the improvement is. And like I say, you look at the financials of it in just basic numbers. Starting 11, there's about an 11 million difference. Buying costing 11 million more than Arsenal. You then go to the benches and it evens itself up because there's about a 20 million advantage in Arsenal's favour. So you've got to look at it and say, well, what's been invested there? Where Where's that money realistically gone? Has it gone on high quality players? I would argue not. And again, as, as Adam learned to his cost last night, bless him, Arsenal Twitter can be very defensive. And of course, as soon as you put a number out like that, People say, well, you know, it costs more to sign players in the Bundesliga, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, sorry, more in the Premier League, excuse me. But I just don't buy that. I th- I think, honestly, and me and Nico had a, a really good chat about this last night. I just think apathy set into that football club. I really do. I think the it's been dictated by the board. And as the saying goes, the fish rots at the head. Essentially, they've accepted that fourth place is an achievement and is completely fine. And I think when you accept that, that, relative to the top six positions at least, mediocrity is fine. You're never going to breed a winning mentality. It doesn't matter who you sign because they're going to be impacted by that instantly. And anyone that doesn't buy into that is going to want to leave. Look at Fabregas, look at Nasri, Clichy, to a lesser extent, Toure, Van Persie. They all left because they wanted to win stuff. It was nothing to do with money, realistically. They all wanted to win stuff. And to my mind, all of them were validated because Van Persie, uh, Nasri, Fabregas, Clichy, even Toure, they've all won Premier League titles since leaving Arsenal. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely crazy and it's a, it's a good analysis. I'd love to see it if the, the two managers were swapped and Ancelotti was Arsenal manager, um, Wenger went over to Bayern, what the result of what yesterday's game was. But in terms of, let's go back to Mezzozil and look a little bit deeper there because we've got a question from at Adam Boltwood. Hi guys, Adam here from Beyond the Grave after my untimely demise at the hands of Arsenal Twitter. Was I wrong to suggest Ozil could have done more for the Robin goal? Nico, break it down. Yeah, I actually had a, a little bit of, of a debate with Adam and uh, and Spencer FC uh, last night about Ozil. And I think, uh, you know, it speaks to, to to what Chris was saying in terms of, of Arsene and Arsene Wenger in the sense that, um, you know, I think tactically the game has sort of passed him by. We, we look at Mesut Ozil and we've seen the clips over and over and over again talking about, you know, oh, he's just standing there. Oh, he's lazy. And I don't think it's the fact that he's lazy. I think he's literally been instructed by his manager not to contribute in a defensive sense because so that he can focus more on the offensive output that he has, whether it be on the counterattack or whether it be in general. I just think that Arsene Wenger structures his he structures his team in a very archaic way. Maybe maybe football, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago was more binary in the sense that you had a player, you know, only completing defensive actions and and a little bit of offensive actions, whereas now football's a little bit more holistic. Look at Chelsea, you know, when they play pretty much any team in the Premier League, they commit almost, you know, eight or nine of their outfield players to the, their defensive shape with one player contributed, you know, offensively. If you look at, and Chris, we're, Chris and I were talking about this last night, you know, the first Thiago Alcantara goal in the sense that Lewandowski should never be receiving that pass inside zone 14 in the first place. If you look at the best defensive systems in the world and the best teams in the world, they never allow players to receive passes or passes to come in, come into that area in the first place in that area because so many, it's something like 92% of goals, assists, or, or some sort of chance creation comes to that, that very special area. And you know, Arsenal simply allow that. I think it's Arsene Wenger's fault from a tactical perspective because he he's playing. You know, he's playing old football. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And yeah, again, zone 14 is statistically the most dangerous area for a opposition player to receive it and for Arsenal to be so open. And not just in that instance, I also feel for the, the Robin goal, you know, what Adam was alluding to, uh, it, the, the back four, is, the midfield, sorry, has collapsed on the back four. There's no, there's no gap between there. There's no protection in front of the back four. You look at the space in between Coquelin and Zaka, it's absolutely huge. And like you're mentioning, you know, modern football has become... Um, narrow, it's become short, you restrict that area and that is not what Arsenal were doing and it was absolutely pathetic from Arsenal for me and, and they deserved what they got in a way. Um, in terms of uh, other sort of highlights of the, the game in a way, obviously Thiago, we spoke about him, fantastic. I was very, very impressed with Philip Lahm um, rolling back the years. Chris, do you think that he could do a job at another side, um, you know, given that he has ret- he's going to retire at the end of the year? Do you feel that he should reconsider that and maybe move to the MLS or move to somewhere um, else in Europe? It's a good shout. Like I said, you know, we we, um, we tweeted as much last night that, you know, please don't retire. Um, and everyone thought it was Lawrence, which it definitely wasn't. <laughs> um, I take no greater pleasure than when people guess it's one of us and they get it completely wrong. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think his passing was fantastic. I think, look, his ball retention has always been incredibly impressive. The the curious thing is, so, I mean, you talk about MLS, which, of course, piques my curiosity instantly. There's been a few midfielders like that. Torsten Frings was at Toronto for a bit. David Beckham obviously shifted inside and eventually became that sort of long-range type midfielder who would spread the play and dictate things. I, I'm just not sure where he fits in. I think, for him, it seems like he's wanting to go out on a high. And I can kind of admire that, that he wants to essentially retire at the peak of well, as close to the peak of his powers as he can, but in a team that's winning league titles and all this kind of thing. So, on the one hand, yeah, I see what you mean. You know, you never want careers like that to end. I know I was really excited when Pelo arrived in, in MLS for that same reason. But no, I, th- I think if he feels ready to retire, then go for it. The, the, the difficulty is, and we talked about this with Barcelona, is how do you replace someone like that? There's not, to my mind, a, a huge number of players in that mould at present. I think Julian Weigel's maybe a good example, but you know it's going to take a massive amount for Dortmund to, to want to sell him. And even then, they may take a slightly more principled stance after what happened with Matt Hummels. Well, I think one man that could potentially replace him, Bendrick, uh, sorry, Benjamin Hendricks for, at Leverkusen. He's been so good in the Champions League this season in terms of recovering the ball and looks like a super talent at right fullback. But in terms of uh, alarm, he's going to go out on a high for me. I think Bayern Munich are going to win the Champions League. One, because of their side, their side, their great flexibility, their tactical setup. There isn't a 4-2-3-1. For me, it's more of a, a 4-2-1-3 in a way, uh, with Thiago playing as a central midfielder and the two players as, as defensive midfielders, how Ancelotti set them up. And that's another big reason why I feel they're going to progress uh, to the final and win it. Uh, but Nico, what's the difference? What's been the difference of uh, Pep Guardiola's Bayern Munich? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. It's Ancelotti's Bayern Munich. Yeah, I think if you look at sort of the way that Guardiola likes to coach, the positioning is surgical in a sense. And the players are required to be in a specific place at a specific time in order to influence the play. And the position isn't just possession or possession isn't just possession for, you know, possession's sake. It's, you know, to move the opposition through, you know, intricate ball movement and off ball movement, et cetera, et cetera. This Bayern Munich team in its 4-3-3, or as the shape you alluded to, you know, in its glory is a little bit more attacking. You look at, you know, Xabi Alonso and uh, Arturo Vidal sort of stepping back and, and, and allowing someone like Thiago Alcantara, who, you know, could have been brilliant under, under Pep Guardiola and, you know, was really unfortunate to miss out as much time as he did due to, due to a serious injury. Um, you know, but you see him dominating and it, it, it's, it's credit to him and how well he can move in that zone. And like we talked about zone 14 and sort of accentuating the, the attacking prowess of someone like him, as well as, you know, utilizing those wide players, Arden, Arjen Robin is still a fantastic player. Douglas Costa is a fantastic player when you have, have them wide and sort of accentuating their, their strength strengths wide, you know, putting them in one-on-one situations. It's a, it's a Carlo Ancelotti full attacking, uh, full attacking team. And it's, it, it draws similarities to La Decima side for Real Madrid. Yeah. It's a real interesting one. It's sort of how they dominated the ball. Obviously the midfield pivot a little bit different, but yeah, Thiago was, was so impressive in finding those wide players. And that was, um, you know, probably credit to Ancelotti and his team selection and so forth. But anyway, I think that's enough of Barcelona, uh, sorry, Bayern Munich versus Arsenal and that demolition. Let's move on to, to Madrid and Real Madrid versus Napoli. I was impressed by Ronaldo's uh, movement both on and off the ball and how he was creating chances and being more of a, an assister than a goal scorer, Chris. Do you think that's um, where his uh, evolution is going to take him next, going back to being a winger over sort of an inside forward? Yeah, definitely. I think, look, part of that, I think, would be influenced by the fact that his... His story, his perception has become, um, I'm selfish, I'm someone that only thinks about what I can achieve. And changing his role essentially redresses that a little bit and, and starts to paint him in a more positive light. I don't think he's solely influenced by that. I think he's also conscious of the fact that, again, you play better when you work with those around you, not when you look solely as an individual. There's been instances where he hasn't even looked to celebrate goals that they've scored because he hasn't been involved. That's Perhaps it's being slightly you know, uh, hypercritical, but I, th- I think it, it certainly points to someone that maybe hasn't always been the, the greatest person to be around as a teammate. With that said, though, I think for, for him, it's important that he keeps evolving as well because his game's changing and, and the skills or the the abilities that he has change with time as his, as his speed diminishes, as things like that. He's going to have to become a smarter player if he wants to stay at that elite level. And the more things that you can add to your game like creating, like assisting, things like that, the more likely you are to stay around. I think he just has to look at someone like Raul and look at the way that his game changed as he got older and, and sort of take lessons from that. Yeah, it's a, it's a solid point. And he did create, you know, got the assist for the Tony Cruz goal. It was more of an individual assist where, you know, he beats the man, slips it back, and then Tony Cruz does the Tony Cruz finish, the side foot into the bottom corner that he's done time and time again. Nico, in terms of the Real Madrid midfield, um, obviously with Luka Modric returning from injury, Cruz being fit again and Casemiro... Has that got the? Is that the best midfield three in the in the world? Is it got the best components? Quite possibly, and I think if you look at criticisms from people that you know praise the Premier League to the high heavens, which you know it is, it is a fantastic league. You know, 
but but claiming that the the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid and and these top European sides are you know they only show up when it's against uh, the the farmers uh, as many people put it in their leagues is absolutely ridiculous. If you look at the defensive work that Luka Modric put in last night, that Tony Cruz put in from a positional perspective, and Casemiro both offensively and defensively, you understand why these teams are so absolutely fantastic. And you know from a tactical perspective, the the level that Real Madrid can play at for 90 minutes is absolutely excruciating. And it's really beautiful to watch, and that's why, you know, in my opinion, they're one of the best teams in the world. There's absolutely uh, there's an insane quote from Paul Scholes that came out, out last night. So he said, Cruz is the best uh, midfield passer in the world. Towards the end of my career, I tried to emulate him. Which, for, for, some, for someone like Paul Scholes, um, to say that about Tony Cruz, you know what he is, you know what he's about. Obviously, Casemiro as well. Brilliant performance, scored an absolute cracker of a goal, a volley from outside the area into sort of the top uh, right corner. In terms of interceptions as well, they made more than any other player on the pitch and, and was just an all-around destroying menace. But I'm going to stay with you, Nico, and uh, let's talk a little bit about Napoli and their passing style this season has um, got a lot of people being positive about them. Who do you think their key component was against uh, Real Madrid? Because arguably, the game could have been three goals each if uh, you're thinking Mertens, uh, Hamzik had taken their chances. Yeah, certainly. I think one of the key components is Lorenzo Insigne, but I will also highlight Diwara, I believe is his name is, uh, in central midfield. Yeah, the the tactical style and sort of the offensive style under under Mauricio Sarri is an interesting one. It's almost like someone playing FIFA. I mean, the 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 way in which that they pass the ball so quickly, it's almost like Tiki Taka sped up a hundred times and then put on the counter attack. It's it's really beautiful. And I think if you look at the the first or well, the only Napoli goal in the first tie, uh, it, it's something that where where they take the they take Real Madrid's uh, offense or defensive counterpress and use it against them in the sense they, they force uh, a team to become so compact in the middle and sort of centralized, and then they have uh, one or two players running off the ball at the same time, and then they release them. And the Jose Callejon goal that was ruled off sides late in that game is a, is a perfect example of that. They have a, a, a pass to a player on the opposite side of the field, and then they have another player in Jose Callejon. Callejon uh, running on the opposite side. So it's like the duality of, of the same run, which makes you know their offensive output absolutely incredible and and you know I, I understand that three one is a is a big scoreline and that Real Madrid did perform uh, you know in an excellent manner but this isn't a foregone conclusion going back to to Napoli's home stadium you know this this is some, this is a tie that that the second leg could be one of the best games of the year. One hundred percent. I think that that's going to be the big one for me. It's it's going to be the best of what's left in a way. There's some ties that are dead, but this one is definitely not dead. But anyway, that's been a a bit of a roundup of the Champions League fixtures over the midweek. So I think it's time to answer some goddamn questions. So starting at number one, um, Connor asks, that's at Emery, uh, Cannes Hair Gel, a very smart name there, planning an accumulator for the weekend. Any teams you'd suggest to add? So I think we're going to go with one team each. Chris, in first, what are you going with? Sorry, what was the question? I missed that there. So this fella, Connor, he's doing an acker at the weekend, right? He's down the bookies. Mm-hmm. He's put a tenner on. He wants he wants us wants us to give him some teams. Who are you going to give him this weekend? Oh, it's definitely a cup weekend as well, isn't it? Um, so you could make a decent bit of money here. Um, Huddersfield Town, they've got Man City at home. That, could, that I think that if if Pep throws a few. Backup youngster types in there, then I think David Wagner could could have some fun. Tasty, Nico. Any any big tips for this fellow? He's going to win a million after tipping Huddersfield first. 
Sorry, I I have absolutely no idea what an accumulator is in terms of betting. (laughs) (laughs) An accumulator is basically where you pick um, multiple games and then the odds multiply together. So you basically go, Man United are going to win, City are going to win, Chelsea are going to win, and and FC Cologne are going to win. Then you combine it together and you get better odds. So basically we just need one team. Because Chris has given us Huddersfield, you don't need to go too in on the prediction. Keep it safe. Keep it safe. Um, I think... One second. Uh, I think Millwall could 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 pull off not a surprise win, but but a but a good win against against the struggling Leicester teams. Mm. That is a good good shout for me. You got to go to Italy, eleven thirty into Milan Bologna, and I think Inter are going to blow them away because they've been in absolutely flying form in recent weeks under Stefan Pioli. Anyway, moving on to the next question um, from Oliver Walsh. How much football slash highlights do you guys watch? Per week, uh, Chris, I'm going to come to you for this one. Um, to, to characterize it in hours, you're probably looking at 15 to 20, maybe. Nice. Give or take, Nico. Um, on a daily basis, I'd probably say like three to f- three hours of, of football a day. Um, I don't like to like watch highlights because I don't get the full picture of tactically what happened on the match. Um, so probably like a match a day is probably what I'll do. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Highlights are uh, only if you sort of need to watch something quickly. But yeah, maybe start watching things in three times the speed and stuff. But in terms of football, <laughs> I don't know. I watch too much. I can't even define how many hours I watch. Some some weekends, it's just disgusting. But anyway, <laughs> moving on to Cold uh, Zadeva's question. If you were a professional manager, what would be your ideal coaching philosophy? Nico, let's do it. Uh, I'd probably say... I think it'd be so difficult to try and implement a, a possession style, even though I love it. So I'd go with a counterattacking, Catenazio, defensively focused type of uh, type of system. Disgusting, Chris. What is your footballing philosophy? Three four three. Oh, tasty. Taking a bit of Conte out. Yeah, definitely. Or or the 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 classic Ajax diamond. I'm quite fond fond of that too. Nice. I think I'd uh, I'd set up first. I'd set, teach the the lads how to defend, how to counter press, how to counter attack, and then I'd move back to the short passing Barcelona style. I'd make the most flexible style in the world. My team could play anything. Yeah, that's why they'd be uh, Champions League finalists and champions. Anyway, moving on to uh, Peter the Polish's question at Peter the Polish on Twitter: Why are Dortmund so terrible? Should we stop playing three at the back, Nico? Uh, I don't. Uh, to a certain extent, I understand what he's saying and why are Dortmund so terrible, but they really haven't been that bad this year. And Thomas Tuchel's, you know, offensive philosophy and, and philosophy as a whole is really fantastic, in my opinion. So I don't think they should stop playing uh, three at the back. You have to realize that, you know, major players have left recently in Lewandowski, Mats Hummels, Henrik Mkhitaryan, etc. Um, so just give them some time. You know, they've they've brought in uh, excellent younger youngsters such as uh, Rafael Guerrero, Usman Dembele, and they continue to with uh, with their new signing Isaac. So just give them some time, and uh, and you'll be you'll probably be sitting in the trophies. <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree with that, but it's just the obviously you're losing. Three of your best players, Mkhitaryan, Agunduan, and of course Mats Hummels. Replacing that is going to take time, unfortunately. They've been Dortmund's probably best performers over the last three seasons. So yeah, I think it's just going to take time. The defense looks a bit shaky. Whenever they, you never any team pressurizes them, they seem to just crack. When they're on the ball, they look really good. But it's when it's when they're off the ball that potentially there could be a bit of work or signings, uh, especially at centre half. Moving on to Alexa, Alex Sanchez is question. Chris, who's your favourite uh, Liga MX team? 
Uh, probably Club America, but that's only because a, a friend of mine in high school supported them. It's not uh, anything more complex than that. Are they one of the best teams in terms of winning championships, or is that just a... Yeah, they're 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 very kind of they're they're the team of Mexico City, the the capital. So um, they're pretty. Um, just I think pretty. What's the word I'm looking for? Kind of well established, almost like um, historically successful. Uh, Blanco, the the famous Mexican player that did the bunny hop and all that kind of stuff, he played for them um, for quite a while. I'm trying to think of any other notable players here. Uh, Guillermo Ochoa started his career there as well. Um, I think he had a nickname like the Monkey or something like that because they used to joke he had like six fingers because he was that good at. At saving stuff, he. I, I mean, I, I remember. So I remember watching him to digress slightly, many years ago when um, I went over to to this friend of mine and he said, "Look, you need to see this guy. He's really good," and he was showing me clips and I was like, "Wow, this goalkeeper is absolutely sensational. His reflexes were just world class." And it was kind of the first time that I'd watched football outside of sort of my purview in Europe and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was a, an interesting one. But, yeah, Club America is probably the, the team I would identify with, but not very deeply or passionately. Cool. Nice. So, that's it. That is a, the Front Three's new Mexican team in the League at MX. Maybe tweet at Front Three if we should uh, support another team that we're not following all the glory. Moving on to um, Ahmed Bier's question. More entertaining team between Napoli and Monaco. I'm going to give us each a vote each. I'm going to vote for Monaco because I think their 4-4-2 is so good on the counter-attack. Nico, Napoli or Napoli. Monaco? Napoli. Napoli all the way. I mean, it, like I like I spoke about, it's literally like someone playing FIFA, the way that they move the ball around sometimes. So I'm going to go Napoli. Chris? I like Monaco. I think uh, Napoli's Sweet. a great shout um, and I was genuinely surprised that uh, Napoli's president was annoyed at their result last night because it's you know Real Madrid for goodness sake. Um, but yeah, I think I think if you're not watching Napoli, then Monaco's a good show as well. They just their ability to transition so quickly is is devastating to be frank. And in fact, Chris, you've got a video that should be going up on the Front Three YouTube channel on Friday. Um, yes, hopefully on Friday, if not Saturday morning. But yeah, it's, it should be. Absolutely quality. Anyway, moving on to Sandini's question: um, Has there, sorry, has there ever been a successful sibling partnership pairing playing in the same team? Off the top of my head, I could only think of the Nevilles. For some reason, I'm going completely blanked right now. And all I can wasn't wasn't there Neville. a wasn't there a, a, a Dutch brothers partnership? I'm not. I, I forget. The Deboers. The Deboers. The Deboers. Yeah. There you go. You got think... the Dagens as well of Switzerland. Um, Philip and David. Um, they played in the same team. I mean, to be fair, the Dagens didn't always play together. I think they were at Basel for a time. Uh, I'm trying to think about the good brothers that played together. That's the important Rafinha, thing. Uh, Rafinha and Thiago mm. in the yeah. Barcelona youth. Nice. <laughs> so. Yeah, that'll, that'll do. That's, that's some good thinking, chaps. Good thinking. So moving on to uh, football registers. Question: um, Do Napoli have enough attacking prowess to overcome their tie with Madrid at the, the San Paolo? I think we've answered that. I think we all said yes. This is going to be one of the best ties. So make sure you tune into that. Moving on to Luke Dawes question: uh, Favorite childhood TV show? I'm torn between Arthur and Dick and Dom in the bungalow. <sighs> That's a good question. That is a real good question. I'm a big fan of Arthur. I think that was good. Hey Arnold was a great one. Chris? Yep. Any any shout outs? I'd be very surprised if anyone's heard of this. Renford Rejects. 
I've heard of that, I think, but I can't remember what it was. It was, so essentially it was uh, a group of lads, actually in a girl as well, based in, I'm going to assume Remford, which is a part of London or just outside London. And they didn't make the school team. They all tried out for the school team and for different reasons didn't make it. Some weren't good enough. Um, actually, for the time, I thought it was quite um, modern because the reason the girl didn't make it was because the coach was sexist. Um, and she consistently was sort of the star of the team, which I thought, looking back now, is actually um, a great sort of lesson to, to teach. But it was just very funny, and it had some mad cameos. Gianfranco Zola appeared on it, Martin Keown was on it. Um, I think Casey Keller, someone was telling me the other day, was on it as well. So, yeah, it was a, a bizarre show. Um, but Bruno De Gradi, or Barry Grade, he was essentially a lad from Birmingham pretending he was Italian. Um, it was a good show. It was on Nickelodeon. Nico, from the US, talk to us about uh, your childhood loves in terms of TV. Uh, you can't go wrong with a little bit of SpongeBob, especially since it's still funny today. Um, Rugrats was really good Ooh, that, I, that I really enjoyed. Um, there's one more. Courage the Cowardly Dog was a good one. And, you know, just Nickelodeon had some. Had some... Oh, Kids Next Door, that Cartoon Network, fantastic. <laughs> Reliving our youth. Uh, moving on to the second to last question, um, Ashwing Singh asks, your top three advanced playmakers in football at the moment. I think we should all put one in and then we'll decide the top three. So, Nico, advanced playmaker, who's your favourite? Ah, this is a difficult one. Uh, probably David Silva. David Silva, nice. Chris? I'm going to go for Thiago. Oh, that is, that is very... A very good shout. For me this season, I really like what Bernardo, uh, Bernardo Silva's doing. I feel like he's mm -hmm. really taken his game to the next level. And he's maybe not top three right now, but he's up and coming. So maybe we rank him at three. And then David Silva at two. And I think we've obviously got to put Thiago after his performance against um, Arsenal in the Champions League. Brilliant stuff. I just like how fluid he is. That's yeah. that's, that's what so it is. Like watch, it's, isn't he? It is sort of the... The way he controls his body, you know that Capoeira stuff that, that uh, they do in Brazil? It, it reminds me a bit of that. I'd love to know if he's done that even consistently because, like I say, the, there was a, an instance last night, I don't know what minute it, it, it was in, so apologies, but he came down the touchline and sort of just opened his body in a way that the ball came to him and he passed it without even stopping it. And it was just, yeah, the, there's so much where I watch him and I will consistently watch YouTube highlights of him because I just find the way he moves so interesting. It's sort of like uh, he doesn't have to think, he doesn't have to sort of hold his body. His body just moves with him in a way. It's so fluid and obviously with the ball at his feet as well. I really liked his assist as well. It was, you know, towards the end of the game, but it was great composure once again um, from the, the lad. In terms of the last question, uh, Peter Reagan writes in, how much fun is it to watch Alonso? So we'll first ask that part of the question. Very, very fun. Um, and guys like him, who are so good that they don't need to run, so we're talking Pirlo, uh, players like Paul Scholes. But in terms of Alonso, where do you, where do you rate him in terms of deep-lying um, playmaking midfielders? Nico? Uh, really amongst the best. I mean, as someone that has an affinity for, for an accurate long pass, you really can't go wrong with Xavi Alonso. I mean, the way that he's able to, to calculate 
you know, balls onto on running on running attackers is 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 magnificent. And he's one of those players that's so smart and, and intelligent in his positioning that he almost doesn't have to tackle. And I think he's spoken uh, about that before that he doesn't like to tackle because if you if you're tackling, you've essentially messed up positionally. Um, so from that perspective, he's a fantastic player as well. But yeah, you can't you can't go wrong with uh, with Chabi Alonso. And that is that, guys. That has been the front three Q and A Thursday special. Thanks to Nico for joining us. Make sure to go and follow him on Twitter. Nico, what's your handle? Uh, it's Nico underscore O Morales. Nice. And obviously, jump over to the front three YouTube where Nico, you're looking into a bit of William Carvalho to which Premier League side? Uh, Manchester City and not Manchester United. Oh, you know, I, I'm a little bit upset about that because I feel like Carvalho would be perfect. For Jose, Jose Mourinho, sorry, but I don't think it's going to happen. Chris, if people want to find you on social, where can they go? Uh, the front three Twitter account where I try and defend Adam uh, from Arsenal fans. Don't bother, mate. Leave it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's that's where we're doing a lot of, of stuff at the minute. We're kind of trying to pull everyone's talents and abilities with some, some new and inventive things. But personally, I'm at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. So that is both on Twitter and on Facebook. It's uh, Chris Hennage, right? Just hit a like on there. It will mean the world to young Chris. If you want to see or listen or watch more of me spouting absolute rubbish on football, I've started a new podcast, which is daily. Um, so I imagine you'll get sick of it after about a month or two and you'll be like, Dave, shut the hell up. But until then, go and check it out. And that's been that for the front three. Uh, please could you tweet at Adam Boltwood and Lawrence McKenna abuse for their lack of uh, showing up on this fine afternoon. And Nico is probably going to be their replacement for the you know the next few weeks because it's just not good enough. Their attention <laughs> to detail on messages in that right, Chris. Hundred <laughs> percent. The front the front three has been drastically modified after this. We've got a new uh, American. What position would you be, Nico? Actually, if we were going to make this a, a forward line. I'd like to say uh, a libero, but I think uh, Lawrence McKenna's already taken that position, so I'll just uh, I'll just be a central defender. Okay, I see, I see, perfect. Right, guys, cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check us out on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, absolutely everywhere. Till next time, see you later. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.